Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edgy Futurist Podcast. So welcome. It is uh, the morning in England, and uh, if you are joining us from Australia, it is very late at night, um, so nearly bedtime. Uh, thanks for joining the live uh, recording. Uh, please don't forget to ask your questions and make comments in the YouTube live chat or uh, by replying on Twitter. If you're listening or watching after live recording, you can always leave us a comment on Twitter, YouTube, or leave a review on your podcast app. Yeah, uh We've got over 150 podcast episodes on the podcast channel. As you can see at the top there, you can listen to us on all the, the big channels, get subscribing. Uh, what we're doing here is we record the podcast, uh, so you get to see it live right now, and then it goes out uh, in its scheduled place uh, in a week or two's time. Okay, so uh, if you're listening now, this is like a sneak preview. You get uh, We yeah. might even edit some bits out that you get to see right now. So <laughs> if, we, if we mess up, like... Uh, like we regularly do, uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> subscribe on YouTube, and you get you get an alert for all of our live broadcasts, um, so you know when we're on. Uh, got some really big interviews that we've done recently uh, with uh, Lord Jim Knight, uh, with Joe Fletcher Saxon. I laughed there because I was uh, my brain was like, who else have we had? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Bob Fletcher, uh, David Price, unmissable episode there where David uh, provided the music for the episode, which was interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, go check it all out at edgyfuturist.com. And we've got some really, really, really exciting news. Um, some of you know that we had to postpone our summit and awards um, due to the current unprecedented situation. Uh, but we have got some really good news. We are bringing our virtual awards back, but doing it virtually. So on the same day, the 10th of July, in partnership with Sea Learning and Net Support and a whole host of awards partners, we will be uh, we'll be doing this. So get your nominations in, um, and uh, there'll be a little link later on in the show to get your nominations in for the awards. Really, really excited for 14 awards this year. Very, very, very exciting. I couldn't even count them, Joe. That's just my ability, but we will we'll maybe delve into that. Well, sure, you could have used your fingers. You're from Yorkshire. There's enough for 14 there, isn't there? That, Give me seven. That, that's, that's just rude um, from somebody from Burnley. Um, anyway. <laughs> Let's stop there. There's enough for 14 on your fingers. Well, Ben yeah. was trying to say that I was, um, there's some in Yorkshire. Extra fingers. That's the point. That, that was a joke, Dan. Sorry, I thought you used to be a stand-up comedian. I thought you'd know get jokes. No? Ten, ten fingers. Yeah, ten fingers. Already we've got and Because he's inbred, he has extra ones. Uh, uh, right. Uh, all right, let's see. All right. I'm, I'm <laughs> conscious that uh, we've got a guest waiting, um, and, and we're going to get into that. But So tonight, uh, we've, we've or today, or this morning, depending where, you, where you're joining, uh, we're joined by Summer Howarth. How, uh, Summer has been working in education for over 16 years, she's been a teacher, an education leader, a policymaker, an advocate and facilitator of learning for students and professionals across systems and sectors in Australia and works to ensure teachers have every support they need to succeed and thrive. Yeah, Summer has expert knowledge in learning, experience, design, design thinking, middle year schooling and environmental education. Summer has taught in schools across Australia and the USA. Uh, she's taught a Master of Teaching Units at Sydney University and delivered global projects with teams including Education Changemakers, the Global Education Task Force on SDGs and report reporting to the United Nations. I-D-E-O. <laughs> Steve, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? 
He's got me oh, reading that. Can, 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 can you not read that, Dan? I'm sure you criticised me for being able to read. Come on, let's keep on it. Right, so, come on. Uh, someone's done a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say she delivered some professional learning for audiences across the world, across Australia, um, um, and she's done some stuff on TEDx too. You can follow her on Twitter at edusum. The podcast by educators, for educators, the EduFuturist podcast. Okay, so welcome to the show, Summer. How are we doing? Oh, I'm doing well, apart from my terrible um, Australian internet. So I kind of look like a robot. Hopefully I don't sound like one as well. It's coming through okay, so we'll 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 keep going with it. And uh, if you do drop out, we'll just we'll carry on with the really poor band. Dance amongst uh, yourselves, yeah. yeah and and we'll probably we'll probably make some crazy joke about paying your internet bill. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I deserve it. Um, well, I suppose we've we've been asking this question, and before we went live, um, we've been asking about how you are coping with with lockdown. But an interesting thing, and we mentioned it was, um, I was having a conversation um, earlier on in the week. Imagine imagine lockdown in winter. Um, and I know that British winters are very different to, to maybe Australian winters, but what is lockdown looking for you and, and 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 what is it looking like in terms of your work, but also the life in Australia as well? Yeah, it's a it's a, been a really interesting journey. We all went into lockdown uh, probably about six weeks ago um, and it was uh, quite sudden. It happened sort of just, you know, over, over about a week. Um, so we had all of our schools across the country, um, you know, doing the same thing, remote learning, um, and it, it really switched into something that was incredibly powerful. And I know that this isn't just an Australian phenomenon, but the work that I was doing across certain systems and in certain schools, you know, we had about four days to really get the resources in, build capabilities around uh, online and remote learning, build those design principles and just sit and support it. What was um, kind of interesting that has happened um, as our states and territories all had some different structures to lockdown um, and some different approaches to what they were allowing in the states and territories, um, we had kids back to school, you know, five weeks ago in some states. Um, in my state, Victoria, uh, we're still learning and working from home. Um, and our first students will go back in about two weeks' time and we're the last state to um, to get kids back to school. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting in running events. Obviously, they've kind of either gone or they're now online. Um, strategy has been really interesting in, in a lot of support and uh, it's been really good to design some content that supports parents in particular um, and students to be um, self-led in their learning. So it's been... It's been a ride, a lot of jigsaw puzzles, you know, a lot of like Skype wine time um, in the nighttime with friends, not during the daytime in schools. Um, but, yeah, it's been, it's been, you know, boring. How, how is that working in terms of lockdown in Australia? Because kind of here we've got, we've just found ourselves in a really strange situation where it was kind of dictated by Westminster and London, but and now kind of Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland have decided to do their own thing. So England's kind of, we've, we've got a bit separate. Is it, does it depend on which region you're in in terms of if you're in lockdown, if schools are back? Yes, it's, uh, it's you know, was mandated by uh, federal minister, but the states and territories all have their own um, 
leaders, you know, uh, chief ministers or premiers, and they have all uh, decided what's best for their states and territories. So it has been very differentiated. It's caused a bit of stress, I'm not going to lie, for um, for our profession. Um, and it's there was a, a quite a, a big um, conversation around professionalising teachers and respecting them as well. It was very much sort of, oh, we'll get the kids back to school for economic means and teaching profession was like, hang on a minute, <laughs> like what, what about us and what about the health risks? We're still uh, anxious, I'm anxious, um, but schools are clever places full of clever people and as usual, clever teachers and uh, administrators and principals will sort it out, you know, it's what we do. Yeah, yeah, I think there's there's a bit of that at, at the moment in the UK in terms of questioning the the motivation behind the politicians um, in terms of balancing up the economy and getting kids back to school. Um, we're kind of right in the midst of that at the moment. Um, so yeah. I think over the next few weeks we'll see how that pans out. Uh, in in terms of uh, uh, just to just to kind of go a bit deeper into that because over here we've we've had like a bit of a national approach in terms of uh, they they've created like an online the government have created an online academy. Uh, which students can access the the BBC, uh, the the British Broadcasting Corporation have, have put together some online lessons and resources, as well as some of the amazing stuff that uh, is going on in schools and and authorities around the country. Is has there been any kind of national approaches, or has it just been kind of left over to the states of Australia to get on with it? Uh, there has been a national approach from our equivalent of the BBC, the ABC. Australian Broadcasting um, Corporation, um, which is our national broadcaster and led by um, Annabelle Asprey, who um, also is a great friend of mine. She's head of education there. Um, actually getting great teachers to uh, teach uh, live and, uh, you know, through, well, through pre-recorded shows and I think they're doing some live stuff as well. Um, and that's been really great. That's um, scheduled across the week from primary school into secondary school support as well. They've got an amazing website, which they've had for quite a long time with resources, but that's become a, a really great hub. Um, but we certainly don't have a, a national uh, academy. It's really been up to what certain schools are doing. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens in, you know, the brackish water, the transition back to on-site learning. Uh, that's probably the point of interest at the moment. What are we going to let go of? What are we going to hold on tightly to? What's an education worth having? Where do you get that education? You know, the millions of questions um, that we're all asking at the moment, but very much state and territory approach. That's cool. And and I, I know that um, from our point of view for... Uh, we're in all in different sectors. So so obviously Dan's in secondary and we are in post-compulsory education, me and Steve. And then we've got friends and family in primary and everybody's getting, right, you're coming in at this point and you're coming in at this point and you people are going to only have these groups of students in. And we want everybody to have seen somebody, seen their teacher for a month before the end of the school year. And, and, and obviously there's a whole host of political issues that are going on there and, and, and the teacher power and the teacher unions are obviously wanting to protect their members and make sure that um that everybody's this safe in this um it's it, it, it's it, it is crazy that the, the the transition back is probably going to be as hard as the the transition to to going on to online and i think uh, online learning and we talked a little bit about um what we would keep and what we might not keep mm -hmm. from our experiences of being remote 
just as we kind of get into what you do and uh, and and the work that you do around um, eventful learning and stuff like that, what what kind of things are you enjoying that you would want to keep in in your current uh, in the current way of not being able to be as face to face as you would be? Mm, it's uh, it's interesting. I work closely with um, a couple of schools, and I suppose from a school perspective, something that I would like to keep is a little bit more of that flexibility of where we work um, and and how we work. I think would be pretty excellent. I'd love to see the teaching profession and workforce have a little bit more of that um, agility. Um, and I think now that we've got structures in place, it could actually become a really nice um, family-friendly uh, profession, which I know sounds counterintuitive. It should be, right? Um, but it, it really could be a lot more family-friendly. I'd really like to see that and keep that. Um, I'd love to be able to keep the option of students who maybe have um, you know a rough time getting themselves to school for one reason or another I think it with the right tools access um, is incredibly important um, one thing from my work that I would like to see is you know more we have more international voice and flavor in the conversation now it's not just a parochial conversation of whoever can get in a room it's whoever can get in a zoom room or you know whatever it might be so that would be really ace to keep I think yeah, and, and uh, uh, it's been interesting in terms of you touched, touched upon that in terms of the teachers and, and obviously it takes a, a, a good teacher to be a, a good teacher online. So we, we understand that in yeah. terms of being able to build a relationship in a classroom and build a relationship online and those challenges. But it's been really interesting. I think I got gone then. That's not the end of time, is it? No, no not the end not of time. Now. It's No, no, it's just part <laughs> of the forest coming down, don't worry. <laughs> um, and looking at actually how... Um, organisations, cities, and even and, and globally, how we can tap into a different market, and potentially I might know uh, a good contact that lives hundreds of miles away that I'd like to bring in to the organisation that you know what they would be brilliant for for Leeds City College or whoever. But actually, currently they don't want to relocate. If they're wanting to deliver online and do that element, they might have loads of different barriers. Actually, we can tap into a massive market, and, and like you say, you've identified loads of barriers there to to kids and and even disabilities, everything that will open up a market of brand new teachers coming to the forefront or people that want to go back into work in this in, in the forum. Oh, I agree. And look, I've always thought that the education of young people is everyone's business. Um, and now it really means we've got a bit more of a level playing field in terms of, um, you know, we've all had that experience of online. What might it look like to really um, embed that in the DNA of school and how we do school and we can get the best people in the job. Um, I mean, one big thing I've been thinking of that is a challenge um, is that sort of enticing learning, that deeply engaging, um, fun-based, play-based stuff. How do we engineer that in an online environment? Can we? Uh, I think we can. I think it's just that we've gone with a status quo um and so we're having a bit of a play with that over the next coming weeks as well with um with a school partner as part of the work with event for yeah and i think that does lead us on on to, to eventful but i think before we get to to, to your role and, and what that looks like i know in terms of of part of that but you're interested in and in, in, in a lot of your work is around professional development and and the upskilling of teachers and i know i don't know whether you've been busier than ever like the rest of us in terms of what does that look like that this is not actually remote learning that there's so many different barriers 
how have people taken to that and how have you shifted professional development in in, in your work? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. A lot of my work through Eventful was around, you know, profound shared experiences in learning. Um, and so a lot of that was obviously um, finding a really cool venue, finding really cool folks, going to where they're at, building, you know, local communities of learners was was really important so that there were local-based professional learning networks. And, and now... Um, pulling that aside and, and pulling that online has has meant uh, that there's, there's, I suppose there's a shared interest in terms of what we're doing, but there's not that shared geography. So I have bought a lot of things um, online. Uh, one example um, as well is with uh, a group of schools I was working with up in the Northern Territory, we, we worked alongside the teachers, which was really lucky the two weeks prior, um, we were looking at processes around inquiry and design thinking. Um, there were rumbles, I think, of, of lockdown and what was going to happen, but largely it was around investigating school improvement data. The capability uplift there and the professional development was around how they might lead students through that process to be partners in their learning. Uh, two weeks later when we were meant to be in a room with 200 primary school students and those teachers, um, we obviously weren't able to get there. So we worked with our friends at a studio and we did kind of a, a broadcast that looked a bit like a, a great TV show, kids TV show, um, and we had these little breakout clinics. What was really ace was those teachers knew exactly how to be my co-facilitators um, and I think that that was a really interesting way to look at things and my aha moment as well. It's it's always walking alongside. It's always going on that journey with. It's looking at something that is really tangible and tool-based and replicable. That's the kind of PD that I'm involved in, probably less so than a teaching a tech tool or, you know, a particular strategy um, or research. It's very much around usable, replicable, scalable um, tools that help teachers identify and solve problems in their own context really quickly. So just just on that, for those listeners that might not um, understand design thinking or have experienced design thinking as a, mm. as a way to approach maybe their development or the way to approach a problem, or could you kind of just like walk us through what the the principles of design thinking are, so that so that um, so that people can can see that because we we love it, um, and I think <laughs> well, I think it's. It, we, we talk about it like it's second nature. So I think yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Well, I think it starts as well with um, identifying a, a problem and starting with the who. Um, I know there's a lot out there start with the why, but in, in my mind, it's starting with the who. So if you've got um, a, a bunch of brilliant kids in front of you, you've, you can identify that they might not be as engaged as you want them to be in your geography lesson, for example. It's really then going through a disciplined process of coming up with solutions, um, at testing them and scaling them. So the first step is around building empathy and understanding. The second step is really identifying quite clearly what the problem is and what the opportunities are. Then it's going into uh, ideating them, solving your problem, so to speak. But before you go and pilot it, it's really important to test it quickly and cheaply through what we would call a prototype. So it's a it's a model or a scaled down example of what you would want to do before you go ahead and launch it. 
a, a lot of the time it's tied into an innovation agenda. And innovation is just change that adds value. You know, that's that's essentially the definition of it. If it doesn't add value to people's lives, don't change it. Um, so basically don't go through a design thinking process for the sake of it. Um, really understand, start with the problem, and then the ideas come. Yeah, I think those how might we statements, uh, the empathy models as you relate to, to each stakeholder that's involved, but also, um, especially, I don't know the education system in Australia, but the education system in the UK is is trying to innovate by still keeping the shackles of pigeonholing in the same education system. So you're trying to innovate within a box that actually you can't move out of. And that's really challenging because you're trying to do all of those different things and you're trying to change learning. But at the same point, the end goal and the same way that they will sit the exam or do the same thing is still there. And I think that's the big fear that people are saying, well, actually, what's the point? Because we can't change the end result. Um, I don't know whether it's the same in Australia because um, maybe share that in terms of what that looks like. Yeah, look, I think you're, you're spot on there in terms of, you know, your your final testing or your certification, you know, basically what we spit kids out at the end with of school. They'll say innovate, but, you know, not, not too much. You know what I, what has happened over the past two months, the status quo has been disproved. Getting a bunch of kids in a room to sit down and write stuff and then give it a number. Uh, we actually haven't had to prove that that's not not right. We've been jumping up and down about it for years, right? But um, something better has come along. Um, and so that's kind of an exciting uh, part for us to play. I don't I think assessment is incredibly important. Ways of knowing are incredibly important. Any designer, learner, any human wants to know, uh, but there are better ways than, the ways we've been doing it. So it's up to us as educators now to say, yeah, well, that was a thing and clearly that now is not a thing. So here's 10 other ways that we can do it 10 times better. Whenever I'm I'm thinking around talking to policymakers or, you know, those that are making the decisions, um, present them with a case of something that is 10 times better than what is already existing. Also go with solutions and not just problems. Um, and we've got that in our toolkit. We know, but now's the time. Now's the time. Yeah, and I, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like music to our ears. Like we've been, we've been feel like we've been banging on about exams and endpoints, and and mm. and uh, everything's got to be a linear thing, and everything's got to be a terminal and an endpoint. Just, just, and now we're in a position where I, I think I said it on probably the last twelve broadcasts that we've done. I've said, well, now we're in a position where we've said the exams don't matter because we're going to give them the predicted grade, the calculated grade, and we're going to trust teachers. So we're going to give them those exam results. That's what we're doing in the UK. Them exam yeah. results, that, and, and obviously that's based on something. It's based on a calculation and teacher professionalism and, and, and trends over time and all that kind of stuff. But what does, it, what, does it, what does it tell you? It tells you that that isn't the only way and certainly isn't the best way. Um, so... Um, I, I I wonder sometimes whether our education minister really sneakily looks at our YouTube channel or uh, listens to our podcast. 
Uh, I don't think he does. I wish he did. Uh, well, if he's clever, he would. Sure. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose we've just, we've just got to get out there with the with the ideas, haven't we? Is what you're saying is is share. This is a way to do it. The this this kind of ongoing portfolio or project based learning or um, assessment at appropriate times, as opposed to this is the, this terminal way, and then the methodology of assessments is just he just needs to be thought of, doesn't it, and rethought. Oh, big time. And if we look at that end goal, it's it's really, um, you know, it's a gateway or it's a key that they're given into the next step, whether that be tertiary education or further employment or opportunities. Um, it's just around changing the locks, really. And if if it's flooding their lives with people that are willing to give them opportunities, if it's credentialing, um, if it's, you know, different proof points or even asking our students you show me what you know or what you want to prove and, and we'll come up with this together. It certainly needs to also acknowledge the learning pathway from, you know, kinder right through to, to 12 rather than just this sort of end drop goal. We know as well, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, but when I was teaching um, year 12, you know, final year students, you know the immense pressure and stress that they're under. And I found that really hard to ethically reconcile as well, that I knew that I was, you know, kind of kind of part of that, right? And, uh, and look, that's, I mean, teachers are doing the very best they can and a system uh, has mechanisms that are dissolving the, the student-teacher relationship. And I'm not cool with that. And I know teachers aren't cool with that, but we also want to make sure that, our students have the best opportunity possible. And if that's the metric, well, we're going to work hard to get them there. Let's just change the metrics now. Let's just do that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, think, I think as well it's about redefining success, isn't it? Because I know mm -hmm. uh, being in a secondary school myself, success is that grade from a three-hour exam in in June of their final year at school. And every year, every from starting in year seven, going through, it's it's well, it's all focused on GCSEs, and and that's that's the success criteria, which mm. is crazy when you think about it. And and like we're talking about, it's just for for those for those three hours on a June morning in five years' time for a year seven student, that's what that's the measure of success for for five years at, at secondary school is is just mental. Well, like when I say it to myself there. I, I, I get a renewed realization of how crazy it is, um, but yeah, pre, pre that, if you think actually that's their end point of of sixteen years worth of learning as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you say it out loud, you're like, wait, hang on, that's not a thing. Surely that's not a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. Okay, well, we need to that that needs to not be a thing. It's like, all right, who who do I need to talk to? Get me the manager, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But I think we do that conversation about um, re redefining what success is for a student, and I think that's when the the fine detail of of well, why does success have to be one thing for one group of students and another thing for another group of students? And I think that's the battle. I think I think the whole idea of standardization across the board um, is is the is the massive battle here. And I don't want to use that word battle because it sounds like there's a lot of animosity here. But um, but maybe that's the the project we need to to engage with uh but and and i think has the last few months uh, kind of contributed to, towards that conversation i think it has but i still think 
Um, especially in the UK, we've got a long, long, long way to go. And there, and there's there's a rise of a, for for want of a better term, a, a, a conservative education voice. Um, mm. And I know from just just from being on Twitter, really, that that there's also some big voices in Australia that that are championing the the old uh, rote way of of learning and and the old um, teacher in front of the class way with a. Is that in Australia? Is it? Is it like that over there as it is here? Is, is it like the, that that kind of tension there? Oh, most definitely. We've got a, a university entrance um, sort of ranking and it, it's it, there's definitely a call for there's got to be a better way, um, you know, what are the different methods that we could use that have value to everybody who has skin in the game but importantly are student-focused. Um, absolutely. And and what this has given us, you know, I talked about that prototyping as a stage in design thinking. I think this time uh, in lockdown and with, you know, the 2020 disruption of um, schooling across the world, it has allowed us to prototype different other ways of um, providing metrics to students around what their current state of educational progress or achievement might be so we've kind of got a bit of a baseline now to say look see this might work um who's willing to run with us but you know yeah there's an increasingly loud voice around so what might it look like how can we lobby for it to to go away um but the reality is you need to give those who are holding tight to it something else to hold tight onto. Um, and that's going to be the biggest win. So I think the next big design challenge for all of us is then saying, all right, well, how do we graduate students at different levels? How do they prove, you know, themselves or with a group of folks that they're on to the next stage? There's, there has to be gateways. Um, I think that that's really significant and important. They're kind of rites of passage but it doesn't have to be something that is stressful and useless. It, sh- it should be something that is, you know, joyful and celebrated. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, I, it's it's it is going to be really interesting these these next few years. And it's and I know we talk a lot about in this podcast about uh, how how are we going to emerge from this? How are we? How are the conversation about where what that first day back, uh, whenever that may be. Uh, how what where's the plan forward and how do we keep um kind of going back to that question from ben at the start about uh what bits do you like about what's going on now that you want continued kind of how do how do we make sure that happens and how do we make sure that the structures in place allow for that to happen as well um just going back to the the whole idea of design thinking the have you in in the classroom are you seeing that when students are engaging with this type of learning uh, online, are you seeing that it, it it's it's working? Is it transferring over to the to the online uh, school world, and and or ha- is it is it having to be tweaked? How how is that working out in in these new times at the moment? Yeah, I'm I'm seeing it really translate very very well. I think what's excellent is when you do have a process, um, it it can be translated quite nicely. Some of the the differences are in the resources that might be available, particularly in something like a prototyping stage where we usually have, you know, a maker space and make things out of whatever's available, Lego or whatever that might be. Um, So those sort of tactile, tangible ways 
Um, obviously are a bit of a challenge um, if they're not set up in advance. But, I mean, these are barriers that we can overcome and there are so many other um, tech tools and, and online spaces that we can use. A, a great example, uh, our Year 9s at, um, at Camberwell Girls Grammar, who I work really closely with, um, they work through a design thinking process, almost like a bit of a boot camp, um, and they look at how they can make someone's life better, healthier, uh, you know, basically it's part of their health PE program um, with the help of AI. Uh, and they were all given a persona to design with um, and we had it all set up with 20 different groups, really, really ace, um, and girls went through a, a design thinking process that was stepped out um, over the two days, we flooded the uh, the online environment with lots of people who are working in using design thinking um, in their particular careers and jobs every single day. And the girls came out with some of the most amazing concepts and ideas to take, um, you know, to market to the next step. So it certainly is something that can translate really well online and offline. Um, and look, I think there are a lot of different things that we should then say, you know, I used to do, now I do, and I'm doing this the same because, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a retrospective or a little bit of an audit there will be really helpful as we start to come back um, into on-site learning. So... On that, I wonder if it's worth talking about the stuff that you've done. I think I was a race to press our own mute button then, weren't it, Steve? I don't know. was around like you work with the eventful learning company. What 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 is it? Um it, I've obviously we uh, we've done our research and had a look and loved love uh, first of all, can I just say that I love the design? Uh, maybe oh. it's like you've thought about the design, like with through <laughs> design thinking to be able to get to the design and the thinking of Anyway, uh, no, but inception it, but... design, <laughs> and 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 you're obviously talking about um, like creative ways to get teachers thinking about this, and and obviously through that, what what is the eventful learning company, and 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 yeah, just tell us about that. Yeah, so the eventful learning company um, designs great learning. So we design great learning events, a great learning strategy, and great learning content. And so it's very much around what's happening um, in schools and those who work to support schools because, frankly, teachers are my favourite people on the planet um, and I am the biggest cheerleader of teachers. So it's not only work in schools. Um, we've worked with a lot of big organisations, cultural organisations like Zoos Victoria to support an education for conservation strategy coming to life. We worked with their um, educator team across the three zoos to you know, really sharpen a pedagogical toolkit, which was really fun. Um, we looked at some deep learning tenants. You know, what can you do in an experience of 20 minutes to activate deep learning? And from there, we we actually had the zoo educators um, to this day. They're, they're running professional learning for like thousands of teachers now that come to the zoo uh, to do their EDU. I love a good pun. I'm all about it. Um, so it's anything from system level, which really means, you know, across a whole state or territory um, to a particular school or a particular project. So I'm really, really lucky to work at a range of scales, but they're the three main things we do. We make really, really cool events. We make really, really strong, um, supported, clear, tangible strategy, and we write really, really cool content 
um, to support um, great teachers to do great things. And when does it go global? <laughs> well, you know, the, the internet, once we get it fixed down here in Australia, um, hopefully we'll be able to to do a little bit more work there. But at the moment we're working, pardon me, all across Australia, which is really cool. And the model is really fun because rather than me then bringing on board a, a big team, I look for other super clever people um, to work alongside with. And a lot of our skill sets bend together, but we've got some real specialties like Chris Hart, who has Unstuck Learning, um, Andrea Downey, she's in Project Thrive. You know, she's got this, this brilliant wellbeing science, positive psychology track. Chris is unbelievable at that um, learning design, but also very much in that sort of tech space. You would know him from Google. Um, doing some great stuff there and we're all able to work together really really well so we've got some of the best content writers we've got you know designers we've got uh, like graphic designers and cool folks like that we've got editors we've got all sorts of people that kind of are in our family which is really fun I like it. Um, Steve, she said something about brilliant people, uh, and like super, super clever geniuses. We're out, mate. We can't be involved in this. We just, uh, we just, uh, no, it's yourself. I'm in. So, <laughs> you're in. I've got, I've got, a, I've got podcasters now as part of the eventful learning co family. Like, it's, yes. it's really just like about an, an agency of clever people that help great, great things come to life. Yeah, well, from the podcast, obviously, after um, the, the the Edgy Futurist and, uh, and and eventful learning partnership in terms of the UK and what that looks like, well, we can carry on that conversation more than. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> you, can mate, that you, you can't you, you can't put that out live. But come on, you, you, like the good news is that we can't really see her facial expression and a reaction to that because it's because it's because of the uh, the the internet and the time difference. So uh, so so actually, it's fine. Um, I, <laughs> the time difference. It's, we're not in Back to the Future. I'm living in the future right now. Uh, what, what, what? Yeah, she's in the future, mate. She is. Yeah. She is. Uh, right, just to clarify for everybody who's listening, she's got she's putting on an Australian accent. She's from Scarborough. She's turned lights on, put a lamp on, and then there's a Christmas tree behind her. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Who's the edgy futurist now? I'm li actually the edgy living in the futurist. A yes. Hours, yes. Yes. Well, that is our. We everybody is edgy futurist. You know, you've, you've, we've, we're starting the movement, so uh, it's good to have you on board. With you can subscribe after. We'll, we'll direct you to the website and get you to do that. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> and obviously, you've you've talked about that eventful learning goes across Australia, but I know that you've done work previously in in America in the US. What 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 kind of work? What did that look like? And and was that in a different role, or what what, what was that? Yeah, it was um, in, in a different role, sort of a couple of different roles. Um, prior to joining, well, prior to starting the Eventful Learning um, Co, I was Director of Learning Design and Events um, at Education Changemakers and did some great work with, um, well, we, worked, we did some great work with IDEO, but we did some really cool work across the US um, as well that was starting to build um, their, their kind of principal journey and edupreneur, which was really ace. So, did a fair bit of um, work there with High Tech High um, and that very cool crew um, out there. So it's really fun. They they would come to our events. We would go to their events. We had a really nice um, sort of cross synergy there. Um, I also taught in the States, which was really fun. So I'm a middle school teacher by trade, by heart, by soul. 
Um, so I always say that like the best years of my career are behind me because um, I'm, I'm not a middle school teacher or leader anymore, um, but they were the best days. And so I taught at a kind of a startup school that was coming to life in Colorado, um, very much an inquiry-based school um, and was, yeah, really putting my heart and soul into developing middle school learners and, and worked alongside the Middle Years of Schooling Association there too. So it's always been around sort of design thinking, deeper learning, um, but middle schoolers was very much where my focus was when I was in the States. And, and, and I know that you've worked um, and, and Dan managed to get some of those acronyms spat out in the introduction in terms of <laughs> working with like you know, the United Nations and, and I'm not going to go into them because I'll probably make a worse job than Dan did. Um, <laughs> but what did that look like in terms of uh, the global task force and, and, and that work that you're doing at the moment or previously? Yeah, um, I, that work's kind of evolved a little bit more, but it was this task force that was looking at developing um, some classroom curriculum content around the sustainable development goals. Um, and it was a task force that was set up um, within the UN. Um, and that was a, a global group. And uh, Jen Williams on, on Twitter, she really started to coordinate that. And look, she's really been, been driving and running that. But it was really great to be in that foundation group to be looking at what's out there, what we could kind of coalesce around and what we could co-design and, and really sort of put up there for a global audience. Similarly, with the 100 stuff that's come out of Finland, you know, we, we looked for a spotlight on Victoria, which is my state here, um, and we were, the, we were helping them to develop the first innovation spotlight, um, really seeking some good scalable content, um, some good scalable concepts and ideas and, um, you know, really help, I suppose, teachers and, and kids benefit from those concepts too. So that was a really fun thing to do as well. Yeah, I think that the stuff around global uh, work and, and and learning from people all around the world. I think you talked about high tech high, David Price, um, who uh, my is, old uh, mate. Yeah, he's been he's been on with us a few times, uh, and obviously <laughs> loves high tech high. Talks about that in every book that he writes and every and every session he delivers, and and the stuff around project learning. And we've looked at the Agora School in the Netherlands and uh, XP school over in Doncaster near Steve, like th this learning around um, from around the world and then coming up with some ideas that are transferable into the context of, 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 of where your learners are. I think there is, um, do, do you think that that's, that's part of the, the prototyping or the ideation that we should probably learn from others? Because I know that the reason why I asked that is because when we when we went to the Google Innovator Academy, there, there we go again. Mentioned again. Sorry, that nice. Much, uh, well done. Uh, when we went to that Innovator Academy, one of the things they talked about was to get rid of your pre-existing solutions, for when and obviously focus on the problem, focus on the user, and make sure that you've got that defined as you've mentioned, and then the ideation should be just random and then you find the right ones that go from it do you as part of the ideation phase maybe talk about looking at things from other sectors that have worked or other other ideas is that how i'm, I'm not i don't know yeah uh, yeah absolutely i think you should always be saying like well what else is out there um what things are similar you know what things are different so if I give you an example of, of what I might say to, um, to a group, particularly in the kind of understand phase, even before we ideate, 
um, I was working with a school that was wanting to engage their year nines. There was, you know, a lot of truancy. Um, year nine numbers were down. And, you know, it was like, well, where are they? And they said, oh, they hang out at the local shopping centre. I said, okay, well, there's something engaging there. So, so let's go and understand what, what is the draw of the shopping centre. And, you know, there, was, there were these spaces where they could sit on couches and mingle together. There were, um, you know, wide open spaces. There was places they could get food. And we had sort of an aha moment around, well, how can we look at the, the tenants or, or what is going right in that shopping centre and maybe infuse it in our idea a little bit more? So I'd actually put it before the ideation phase. I'd be looking at who else is trying to solve a similar problem um, who else might be uh, on that right path? So, you know, in terms of the first thing you want to do, always hat tip it. You know, if someone's getting it right, copy it, um, collaborate with them and then make something if that's the last straw. We're, we're all too keen to just go out and be the, the person who created the thing. Like find clever people and say, can I can I roll with you and can we you know, make this bigger together. I think it's it's a much better idea. <laughs> as much as I'm into design and creating new stuff, my goodness, if if someone is getting it right, um, it's it's better to align with them and see how you can actually bring that to more and more folks. This is why I'm such a fan of just talk about what you're doing, share it. You know, if we were having a drink at the pub one day, if there'll be pubs, and I can fly, look, we're really getting big on what we're going to be able to do right. But let's be really hypothetical. The first thing I would ask you guys is like, what are you working on at the moment? Um, that's the first question I ask people because I'm going to be talking to lots of people through the day and say, you know, Ben's working on this. Sarah is working on, I should bring those guys together and they can make it go 10 times larger. I, 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 yeah, 100%. I think the power of networking uh, and and those relate building the relationships is a skill and something that is massively overlooked in education and and, and other facets as well. They just say we're just having a chat, but actually the the learning that's happening here, the learning that happens in a coffee shop, the learning that happens into the into bits of of webinars and things like that, and and and, and summits and conferences are massively important. That cross pollination of yeah. of ideas and and I don't know about Australia, but I know in the UK, especially in FE. That actually we need more classrooms and the staff rooms in education are really starting to decrease and i think mm -hmm. we're losing that cross-pollination of ideas across curriculum um, because of it um, and i know that when we've been into google and, and places like that they make sure there's spaces like that because they want the techies to speak to the the marketing guys and the business solutions and all of those people to come together because over the coffee some learning might take place that was never planned and i think it's that we, we constantly talk about planning for learning. What about the learning that happens just naturally um, mm. is so important? I could not agree more. I think the, the way that we use space to have those serendipitous moments um, should be engineered very, very craftily. Yeah, definitely. And I think you've got, a, you've got a section on your website as well where you talk about kind of how to, how to go about planning an event. Um, and I'm just thinking we've got our um, annual award ceremony coming up. It's going to be very different to how we usually do it. It's going to be online, uh, like Ben mentioned at the start of the show. 
what what advice would you give us? I know you, we we've kind of touched upon that connect with others mm-hmm. um, point that, that you make so well. How would you? Uh, how do you? Th- where do you think we go next? How do you think we make this the the, the best event it can be? Oh gosh, that, <laughs> <laughs> talk about put on the spot. Look, you know, I, it's all about music. I think that one of one of the best things you can do is you can set a vibe through music and through tone. That's a really important one. As soon as people are walking into a room, how the, how are they virtually walking into the room? How are they met with something that makes them feel like, okay, this is what I should be feeling, whether it's, you know, low and serious or bouncy. I think that's important. Personalization. Uh, that's what I'm finding for online events is, is a really important thing. And, you know, you can do it through the questions that you ask in registration and to be able to really personalize the experience um, is is quite fun you know we're playing with some things in in a workshop next week that's really around um, that sense of like weirdness and and wonder and I don't want to give too much away around that Um, I'll send you the link to it it's called Enticed Um, but you know you're thinking around you you can hire a llama to come into your zoom meeting for 15 minutes and you know the llama farmer is talking a little bit about the importance of you know his crop and it's just a little fun wacky kind of thing where you're like yeah I'm, I'm here with a llama that's that's kind of fun which is <laughs> which is a really strange and weird thing so but you're thinking around that in terms of well how else can you add elements of awe and wonder and joy and surprise um, that folks may not have got um you know otherwise but uh, another thing as well a graphic recorder I've recently become such a fan of a live graphic recorder it takes away the working memory um, that you need to kind of throw into a space and into a room um, and they just capture the essence of something beautifully it's really really good to have on a a web-based thing that's a great idea. Cool. We just need to decide how much in terms of the budget we've got for a llama and a llama farmer and ah. also a, a, a graphic organiser as well. And if, if you we can find them, one that does the two, I mean, if you can find a llama farmer that draws, you set. Imagine, imagine that. And also we've, we've got guests such as, and I'm not going to announce anybody, but we might be able to crop the bit from David Price and, and put his, his musical interlude um, <laughs> as part of the intro music. And all of that, you know. And, oh, my uh, do, you, do you know? Do you know what's really interesting? I was on a, I was on a call, a Zoom, Zoom call, guys, uh, to uh, to a guy from uh, just name dropping here from Stanford Design School yesterday, and uh, and he talked about what he did with his um, Zoom meeting with his with some students the other day. Is he got his mate who's a trumpeter to Zoom bomb him uh, in the middle just before they're about to go to a break and to play <laughs> like and to play. Some music on the uh, on their trumpet. And thought that All that right, was I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to give something away here in our meeting next week. You know that scene in the best movie ever, Love Actually, uh, when they're at the church <laughs> and they're walking back down the aisle, and then all the folks start popping up. Yep. That might be a thing happening in this particular event. Nice, nice. Heard it here first. You've, nice. To be fair, you've caused some problems or some as well. We, we've got to live up to this, and also we've got people like Dave Leonard um, <laughs> saying that he's now not attending our summit or, <laughs> or any award unless we've got llamas. So I don't even know. 
Okay. Well, an alpaca do. There's an alpaca farm not too far away from me. Uh, we yeah, got no, I think college. Dave's been pretty clear. He wants a llama. Yeah, I was going to say that. Do you know, if, unless we've got a llama farmer, there's going to be drama. Do you know, <laughs> we're poets and we don't even know it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what? We've got to do this again when David Price is also here because David and I travelled the country doing workshops for... Oh, ages when we're working on a project together and some of the craziness in airports in the you know middle of nowhere in the middle of the night where uh just you know he was all talking about his music and I'd just be like David I'm just really tired but I respect you so much and really I'm a baby teacher and I really don't know what to do right now <laughs> I, I don't want to put you on the spot to say have you have you listened to the the episode and the, the live stream but he uh he brought some Really interesting facets to bread. To the last uh, bread, he made bread, uh, sourdough. Um, he, he he made a musical interlude. He played. Did he play the guitar or the banjo at some point? And yeah, ukulele. Just, yeah. yeah, it was just. What He's an been absolute. doing it for a few um, uh, webisodes and things down here as well. So he's um, he's really killing it on on being old musical Dave. It's yeah, so he's good. Absolute legend. And I, I can't he believe is. our our paths have not crossed before. Obviously, David Price is such a great friend of, of the show and the Edgy Futurist. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah, he he also lives in Leeds now, so uh, I can't wait to uh, to have a cup of tea and, and taste the sourdough. You're such an old man. You're such an old I'm gonna go around for a cup of tea and a biscuit. <laughs> Listen, it's got to be Yorkshire and, 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 and it's got to be some parking so, <laughs> or, or a ginger nut or, or some digestive. But what's wrong with having a cup of tea? Oh, Come my on. goodness. That's my favourite thing with your accent you could possibly say. Like in the States, I love it when they say glass of water yeah. and in the UK, I love it when you say cup of tea. Well, just, have, just grab a brew. Just have a cup of Yorkshire tea. Um, it's actually made in Yorkshire. You know, they're not pulling it from Sri Lanka or anywhere else. They're actually making it in Yorkshire. I've heard the rumours. You've heard it first. They're, they're, they're growing it alongside the llamas. So uh, just just remember that, everybody. I don't even know how we've got onto what we're not even. There's people listening. Um, as our listeners like, so going all right, just going, mm, what are they on. talking about? They're just rambling. <laughs> so uh, let's move it back on to, 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 to education a little bit. And I know um, we talked about. The masters units and Sydney University—is that something that you're still currently doing, or and, and what did that look like? Was it online or was that face to face? Yeah, no, I'm not currently doing that. But gosh, it was a really great experience to um, be teaching new teachers uh, about our craft, and I think it was an exceptionally important um, and really privileged part of my career. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, and it was really great. It was it was sort of the introduction to teaching um, course. And it was face-to-face -face and it was a couple of times a week and it was really preparing um, new prac students to, to go out into schools for the very first time. And it was really great because, again, that design thinking as a process um, was, was taught, you know, for them personally. Can they identify problems within uh, the different schools that they were visiting? could they come up with some different solutions so they could kind of add value and they, they were able to then walk away and say, I made this place better than it was before, you know, also as something for them to start to develop um, lesson and lesson structures around. But it was such a great time to be, be able to uh, pick and choose what, what were some really significant things 
for them to be inducted into. Um, and I always looked at it and thought, look, it's very much a gatekeeper of the profession role. Um, would I want to be in the staff room working alongside these people? Um, and, you know, if it, was, if it was a no, I was pretty clear on sort of saying, you know, why and what capabilities that they needed to, you know, build, whether that be collegial capabilities or pedagogical ones. But, gosh, it was a good time. Um, really, really ace. And I think if, if any practising teacher can get into a university even to do a sessional lecture, um, really important that we flood their lives with great practising teachers. Yeah, Summer, it's been, it's been great to talk to you today. And um, I know I'm going to take away a lot of a lot of things back to work with me, I think, um, for, from what you've said. And it really made me think I've got some... Uh, some notes on how to run our conference here, which is brilliant. Uh, I'm happy to help. With I've it. also written down this. I used to do. Now I do. I am doing this because I think I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to throw all that out there to my staff, even this afternoon, uh, maybe. Yeah, oh, wow. good one. And that, that came from Camberwell Girls um, Grammar. We had a bit of a jam on it uh, this afternoon, so we're we're really kind of pushing some of the visible thinking routines and making some of our own. Cool. Okay. Well. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And I know it was it about nine o'clock in the evening there now. So um enjoy the evening and yeah, we'll we've got the rest of our day to go. Yes. Oh, thank you so just, much just, for having me. No, thanks for coming. Really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, we'll, so we'll good. You guys are a are a jam. This is a favorite podcast. I love it. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs>